All right. Well, good morning. Uh, as Dan said, my name is JC. I am the district administrator for the Northwest District of Foursquare Churches. Um, our district is just under 300 congregations uh, from Washington, Oregon, Idaho, Montana, North Dakota, Wyoming, and Alaska. And so it's always a privilege to be able to come and speak at one of our, one of our amazing churches. And I am a Milton resident, so I am just down the road. Uh, so it, it, was, it was a nice little easy commute uh, for me this morning. Um, I'm glad you all made it. I mean, with all the snow and the ice and everything, congratulations, you did it. And for all of you online, we are so glad that you are here this morning as well. Um, so this morning, I mean, this is the first joined service between One Hope and Life Spring, or as I will refer to you for the rest of the message, One Spring. Um, <laughs> just because I have a microphone and I can do that. Um, but, you know, I, I talked with both Jesse and Dan about this, and we are just excited for this new season for, for this community of faith. Uh, we do believe it is a God thing, and we do believe that it is, um, it is just what's next for both congregations to come together and move forward as one. Um, it's a little bit like a marriage in that case. Um, but, you know, it, this morning as we talk, I mean, uh, one of the things I wanted to communicate is there are going to be things that you're going to run into from from both congregations' standpoint. And... And I just wanted to just preface that by saying, like, please give yourself a lot of grace over this next season. Because things are going to change. Things are going to be different. And you're going to find yourself wondering, like, ah, is this still the place for me? And, and I would just encourage you, stay with it. Things are going to be different. You're going to, you know, somebody's going to put something back in the wrong place. Uh, so, you know, uh, somebody is, um, you're going to be like, why, why do we do it this way? Why don't we sing these songs? Why don't, and they're going to be all of these things. And so I, I just want to encourage all of you as, as you move forward, um, be graceful, be, be loving towards one another in this joining of congregations. And, and while it is somewhat like a marriage, uh, this morning as, as I talk, I want to actually talk about another kind of family dynamic. And, and this one is near and dear to my heart, this, this concept. So uh, I am married to a wonderful woman named Amber. Um, we've been married for 10 years. We have uh, two sons, a 7-year-old and a 2-year-old. Um, our 7-year-old is biological. And our two-year-old is adopted. Um, and it, there's a whole big crazy story uh, that I could go into about our adoption story and process. But all, uh, what I want you to get this morning is that um, 
we felt our, our family was incomplete with just one child. And it became apparent that we weren't able to have another one. And so we started an adoption journey. And, and this morning as I was thinking about Life Spring and One Hope joining together, I was just reminded of, of our adoption story and our adoption journey. It's, it's been on my mind for a couple of years now as we've adopted our son. And, and this morning, as, as this is the first Sunday of officially of the joined congregations, I, I wanted to kind of bring us back to kind of this beginning of what it means to be adopted into the family of God. We are now one family. You are not two separate congregations. You are one family. And as you move forward, I what I say may not be revolutionary, but I think it's important in this time, in this first Sunday, to kind of come back and remember, remember these concepts. So... I can't think of adoption without thinking of this concept that when we say yes to Jesus, we are adopted into the family of God. Romans 8, starting in verse 14, says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about by your adoption to sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. And then Galatians 4, starting in verse 4. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his son, sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so that you are no longer slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. Paul, in these two verses, really lays out this concept of adoption into a family. My two-year-old was not born into my family. He does not have my DNA. He does not have my wife's DNA. He won't have my eyes. He won't have my nose. He won't have my wife's hair or her teeth. Likewise, we are not born into God's family. We are born of this world and we have a sinful nature. But as Paul says, while we were slaves and born of this world, of fear, of sin, and death, that's the DNA that we are born with. When we say yes to Jesus, we get adopted into a different family. While my son is not biologically my child, 
there are ways in which he will be identified as a member of my family outside of his last name. In February of 2020, we, we finalized his adoption. If you know about adoption, you know that you get custody of the child, but then there are a few months where you have to go through a process and the, the agency and everybody has to make sure that, okay, you really are fit to be parents and all that kind of stuff. And so it's a few months before the child is officially yours and legally yours. But in February of 2020, he fully became our child. It's as if he was biologically born to us And so, when we say yes to Jesus, this same thing happens. And every family has characteristics. And while my child does not share our biology, he will share our family characteristics. His values, his humor, his interests, his speech patterns his habits, his vocabulary will be shaped by the culture and characteristics of our family. People will know he is part of our family by those things, even if he doesn't look like us. Which, by the way, he does look like us, oddly enough. Similarly, while while we are born of this world and of a sinful nature, when we decide to follow Jesus, we are adopted into God's family as a son of or a daughter. And like with my son, it's as if you were born into the family. Being a son or a daughter of God means that you are expected to know and understand and to show the characteristics of your adopted family. This, this is the way that everyone will be able to know that you are a child of God, that we have been adopted into his family. So this morning, what are these characteristics? What are the characteristics of our family so that we will see that when people look at us, they know you're different. There's something different about you. If you're taking notes, here's the first one. First characteristic, love. Matthew 22, starting in verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second, like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love is the first and greatest commandment, greatest characteristic of our family. Love God with every part of you. When you love someone, you sacrifice for them. You look to please them. To do what they ask you. It's the natural inclination of your love. You do that for God. And then not only that, but consider others. And we know that when Jesus says, love your neighbor, who does he mean? He means everyone. (laughs) 
everyone is your neighbor. Seek the best for everyone. The way you want to be loved or treated, do that for others. Love people in a way that seeks the absolute best for them. Jesus says that everything hangs on loving God and loving every person you encounter in your life. Easy, right? (laughs) Number two characteristic of the family of God. Love. 1 John 4, starting in verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God has loved us, we ought to also love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. John starting in verse thir- or John 13 starting in verse 34 a new command I give you love one another as I have loved you so you must love one another by this everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another are you starting to notice a theme <laughs> love is so important to the family of God And as we move forward in this new season of being one spring, may love be your ultimate characteristic. May love, may love be what you are known for. Because everyone will know that you are a follower of Christ by how you love. Characteristic number three. Love. 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 4. I'm going to read this out of the message because we've heard this a million times, this passage, and, and I like the way that the message spells it out for us. If I, ever, if I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Doesn't have a swelled head. Doesn't force itself on others. Isn't always me first. Doesn't fly off the handle. Doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Doesn't revel when others grovel takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Love never dies. Inspired speech will be over someday. Praying in tongues will end. Understanding will reach its limit. We know only a portion of the truth. And what we say about God is always incomplete, but when the complete arrives... 
our incompletes will be canceled. And then jumping down into verse 13. But for right now, until that completeness, we have three things to do to lead us towards that consummation. Trust steadily in God. Hope unswervingly. Love extravagantly. And the best of the three is love. You see, through love, all of the other characteristics of our family come out in a glorious fashion. Through love, we are patient. We are kind. We have joy. We have peace that passes all understanding. We are good. We are faithful. We have hope. We have faith. We are content. We are satisfied. We are humble. We seek the best for others. We are willing and happily sacrificial. We are loyal. We are dependable. We are level-headed. We are wise. All because of love. Because when we have that characteristic, that's just the natural outflowing. But if we don't have love, we don't get these things in our life. We are the opposite. We're unfaithful. We're angry. We're arrogant. We seek pleasure for ourselves at all cost. We are fearful. We're scared. We're unsatisfied. We're wishy-washy. We're unwise. And it's because we don't have love in our life. When we have love, we reflect the character of our adopted family. Without love, we reflect the character of this world, the family we were born into. But when we say yes to Jesus, we get this character of love. Galatians 5, starting in verse 19, this is also out of the message. It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. I could go on. This isn't the first time I've warned you, you know. If you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit the kingdom of God or God's kingdom. But what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. A willingness, uh, we develop a willingness to stick with things. A sense of compassion in our heart. A conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. That first part where it just talks about what it's like trying to do everything on your own just sounds exhausting to me. 
it just, it just makes me fatigued reading it. But then when we get to the part about what God brings into our life, when we say yes to Him, when we love people, it brings life. It makes me excited. So how are we doing? As a son or a daughter adopted into God's family, we are called to live a life of love, showing each other, everyone we meet, and the world what God's love looks like. Once again, easy, simple. I interact with hundreds of pastors, leaders, and churches. I have given my life and devoted it to the church. And there are a lot of great pastors and churches, Dan and Jesse being two of them. But too often I, I see things play out a different way. That instead of a culture of love, I see a culture and a character that you need to look a certain way, you need to act a certain way, you need to say the right thing, you can't question your faith, you can't make mistakes. You have to keep who you really are hidden. You have to keep up appearances. You have to vote a certain way. And in general, you have to fake it until you make it. You see, unfortunately, I've seen too often churches are not a safe place for people to struggle with sin. To have open and honest conversations where we get to the important issues that shape our lives. You see, we're never going to be perfect. No church is ever going to be perfect. As amazing as one spring is going to be, it's not going to be perfect. When we say yes to following Jesus, we enter into a lifelong discipleship process of which we will never obtain perfection. Our faith will have ups and downs. I have watched way too many people walk away from their faith in God because when they had real questions, when they had real issues that they were working through, when they had a secret sin exposed. Church became a very unsafe place to be. And on the subject of sin being exposed, I, let me just say, I'm assuming that the person is repentant. Okay? There are plenty of times that we know that there's somebody who is not repentant. Bible is very clear on how we deal with these things within our community. But we're just going to go off of the person who's truly repentant and wanting to change their behavior. But even in those cases, I've seen way too many times where we've turned our backs on them. I know I have. Because we're hurt. We're betrayed. We're dismayed. That person is not who we thought they were. And in our pain, we get this desire to hurt them the way they hurt us. 
and our sense of justice kicks in and we turn our backs on them. And at the moment they need our love more than they have ever needed it, we we turn our backs and they're shunned. So instead they find a group of people who accepts them in their brokenness and they walk away with a distorted view of God and his love. They were part of the family. But instead of a culture of love, what they observed was a culture of us versus them. Do this. Act this way. Look this way. Say these things. And you will be accepted and loved if you do. If you don't fit into this model, then you're not going to be loved and accepted. It breaks my heart every time I see that. We are meant to love, not divide, exclude, or look down on. My hope and prayer is that we are people that love extravagantly. Where people are at, and we don't have a list of qualifications for the for us to love them. You know, I don't know where this idea came that loving someone means we accept everything about them. We, the culture we live in right now is very much what we would call a cancel culture, where if somebody does something wrong that we don't agree with, we have to cancel them. Right? We, they're out. They're gone. We can't they don't agree, they don't line up with us 100%, so they're gone. But it's possible to love somebody and not agree with them all the time. It's possible to love someone in your pain, in your hurt, and in your confusion. Love does not mean full acceptance of everything that they do. It means accepting them as a person, where they're at, no strings attached. Love does not mean we endorse everything they do, but love says they are a valuable person deserving of love. Of course, maintaining the proper boundaries. We can love someone, be friends with them, and not think everything they do is okay. We have to get to a place where people feel safe to be who they are as broken people and be loved by us that they can count on us to be there for them as they journey through life. I'm so tired of hearing stories of people being burned by the church. The one place no one should ever feel burned, less than, or unloved. The church should be a safe place for people to explore their faith. We get so threatened sometimes when someone starts to have real questions. Or they start to call something out like, we talk about God being love, but why are we not showing love to fill in the blank? I'm seeing a lot of that right now. As those outside of the church look at the church and go, wait a minute, there are things that don't seem to be lining up. We talk about love, but why do you not love Democrats? Republicans, vaccinated, anti-vaccinated. Fill in any group. God's not afraid of your questions. 
we shouldn't be either. When I was a youth pastor, I actively told my students to educate themselves, have questions, and let's work through the issues that you see. If love says, I want the best for you, then I want you to be educated about God and your faith. My hope and prayer is that we can love each other through the process no matter what happens. That you know you're loved and you're valued because you are loved and valued by God. I know a lot of well-meaning people who have gone to church their entire lives. They profess to be a follower of Christ, but when you look at their life, I don't see love. Sometimes I see an obsession with the truth. Don't get me wrong, truth is important, but without love, it's a fraudulent truth. You cannot separate truth from love. How successful are those guys outside sporting events with the big bullhorn, just shouting at everybody that they need to repent? They are sharing the truth of God. They're quoting scriptures. It's all backed up. But there's no love. So what happens? They drive people further away from God. Accept the truth of God so that you can be like me. Gee, that sounds real appealing. Because you seem really like a good person. But love is uncomfortable, right? Love is uncomfortable, and that's why we're not good at it. And I'm talking to myself right now. And I'm talking about us as a body of Christ and as individuals. I can be horrible at loving others. I'm selfish. I'm insecure. I often get upset at my oldest for playing around at bedtime. Why? I could stand up here and tell you it's because he's not obeying which is partially true. But honestly, I'm upset because I want him to get to bed so that I can like finally like relax, watch some TV, and just kind of like zone out for a little bit. But instead of loving him in those moments and enjoying his silliness and his way that he wants to interact with me, I'm upset because he's cutting into daddy's TV time. How often do we not love someone because of our selfishness? We say we love them and we are confronting them or we are showing them tough love because it's what's best. But when we really dig down, there's something selfish underneath it all. It's cutting into your TV time. Now, let me give you a disclaimer. Loving people doesn't mean that you are a pushover, a doormat, and have no boundaries. You don't discipline or that you stay in abusive situations. Boundaries, self-care, being safe, disciplining your children, or enacting consequences with friends and family are important. In fact, if you find yourself in a relationship where the person is not respecting your boundaries, keeps sucking the life out of you, and is trying to manipulate or abuse you in some way, the loving thing to do is to not let them do that. 
They are working out of their own brokenness and dysfunction. And when we love someone, we want the best for them. You saying no, you getting out of harm's way, is a way to encourage them to get the help they need. To become the best versions of themselves. That means that you discipline them sometimes. I love my sons, but I discipline them sometimes. I have to. So that they can know what is acceptable ways to interact with the world around them and with people and which ways are not acceptable. Love people, but safely and in a way that does not feed into their brokenness, dysfunction, and selfishness. And we need that we need time to love ourselves. If, if we are only loving our neighbor as ourselves and not taking time to actually love ourselves, it's not going to last very long. Love people extravagantly, but with boundaries and in ways that truly call out the best in them and not feed into their dysfunction. So how do we love? How do we love people? How are, how are we going to love each other as this new community of faith? How do we get better? First and foremost, pray. Pray that God gives you strength to love people every day. We cannot do this on our own. We need to ask God, who is love, as Scripture says, to give us the strength to love the people we encounter that day. To have our natural disposition be geared towards loving people. Loving people is incredibly draining. We need strength to love people. And only God can give us the ability to do so consistently and consistently well. And then next, be kind, be gentle, be patient, be humble. People feel loved when they experience you treating them that way. The one thing I think we have the hardest time with is patience. We expect people to make decisions fast and to make changes in their life faster. What if you were to walk with somebody your whole life, loving them, and they don't make a decision to follow Christ? Or what if they walk away from the Lord and they never come back? It's okay. It doesn't mean you fail. You, as a follower of Christ, as, as, as somebody in the family of God, the characteristic you are expected to show is love. So love them. Be there for them. Love them. Don't shy away from your beliefs, but don't let the point of your relationship be that they follow Christ. Let the point of your relationship be that you genuinely love and value them because they are loved and valued by God. Of course, it would be amazing if they followed Christ, but that's not why you love them. They are a person and they deserve to be loved. Love is messy and hard. Walking people through life is messy and hard. It's okay to tell people the truth and confront them about the unhealthy things in their life, 
but often we blast them. Tell them these things in a way that is unhelpful. If you are communicating in love, but you're not kind, you're not gentle, you're not humble, keeping their best interest in the front, it's not going to go well. Love doesn't mean accepting all of their behaviors. Love means accepting them as a person. But when the time is appropriate, calling them to something better in love. When the time is appropriate. You don't have to try to convert someone every time you talk or confront them about something every time you're together. Loving them means that sometimes you're just with them. You're loving them. And sometimes it means you actually have fun with them. Romans 2, starting in verse 1, this is also out of the message. Those people are on a dark spiral downward. But if you think that leaves you on high ground where you can point your finger at others, think again. Every time you criticize someone, you condemn yourself. It takes one to no one. Judgmental criticism of others is a well-known way of escaping detection in your own crimes and misdemeanors. But God isn't so easily diverted. He sees right through all such smoke screens and holds you to what you've done. You didn't think, did you, that just by pointing your fingers at others that you would distract God from seeing all of your misdoings and from coming down, hard on, coming down on you hard? Or did you think that because it's such an, he's such a nice God, he'd let you off the hook? Better think this one through from the beginning. God is kind, but he's not soft. In kindness, he takes us firmly by the hand and leads us into a radical life change. You may be familiar with this passage where it says, and his kindness leads us to repentance. If God's kindness leads us to repentance, will not showing people kindness do the same? Kindness comes out of our love. Love people. Be kind. Be patient. Seek what's best for them. Have hope for them. This is what it means to be the family of God. Love, love, love. I'm going to have the worship team come up as we get ready to close. Who do you need to love today? Your annoying coworker? That family member that has hurt you deeply? That friend that walked away from God, the immigrant across the street, the homeless person you pass every day, the politician, the governor, the person of a different sexuality than you. Who needs to be shown love because God loves them and has given us the children of his family, the task of showing them a love like his. May it be said of us, may it be said of this church that you love well. Pray for others. Be kind. Be humble. Be patient. Seek out the best for them. 
May we reflect the character of the family we were adopted into as sons and daughters of God. May we be easily identified by our love, the characteristic of our family. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for showing us what it means to love people. Lord, may we never forget the greatest characteristic of our family is love. May our lives be overflowing with your love for others. God, give us strength to love one another, to love our neighbor as ourselves. We can only do this through you and through the strength that you give us. Lord, help us. Help us do that. Lord, I just pray right now for this new community of faith. Lord, may it be said that they love extravagantly. Lord, as issues, as as things come up through this joining, will you just remind us all to love one another and be gracious through this time, this time of change, this time of unsettling. Give, Give everyone peace. Give us your peace. We need it, Lord. Help us continue to love. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.